Like everyone would be like, you're an idiot. Like, no, you don't. You prove with your life that you don't. And so it's the same way here. And I think for me, thank you guys. Those were really, really good. I think for me, um, one of the things that are at, is at the bottom of this idea of working out your salvation is this idea of gratitude. I mean, just, I'm going to put it plainly, an ungrateful person, ungrateful Christian, doesn't make for a good servant. How could we ever serve Christ in a way that is glorifying to him if we're not thankful and if we don't sit there for a moment and be wrecked by what he did on our behalf? I mean, we talk about this at Wellspring a lot. When was the last time you were wrecked by the gospel? Where you sat there and had to contemplate what Christ did on your behalf. He left heaven, the throne room, where angels sing to him constantly without stopping. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're singing that continually. He left that. Not only that, but became a human baby that needed to be born, fed, diapers changed. I don't know how they did diapers back in the day, but something had to catch what was coming out. Um, (laughs) At least I I hope so. Um, He had to grow up and obey his parents, have friendships, and he did all of that for the fact that he came for you to die in your place. So that needs to wreck us at some point. If we ever want to start with this idea of working out anything, we need to first be grateful and humble people. So what about this phrase, with fear and trembling, though? So if Paul is referring to the fact that we are to work out our external salvation, or our our external holiness, are we supposed to be afraid of that? Are we supposed to tremble at the fact that God calls us to do this? And I think our verse, or verse 13 gives us the answer. Look down at that. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And that word for there is the key to everything I've said prior to this. It's that even though you are striving and working, God is the ultimate and decisive worker in your life. I mean, it's not just like no one else is blown away by that idea that the God of the universe, the one who opens his mouth and whole galaxies fall out, who upholds the stars by his hand, who has all of your hairs numbered, at least for some of us, right? (laughs) Um, That that God lives in you And actually, Paul says, gives you the actual will, the desire to want to work. That doesn't come from you. It says God gives you that will and the acts to obey him. I mean, in Ezekiel 36, 26, I'm going to put this up on the screen. Just look at this. This is amazing. So this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. He says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. That's our salvation, the new birth. And then he says this, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. I mean, that's a crazy mystery to us. 
that God works that way, that when we work, it is actually God working through us. And if this concept of your worth being actually God working, listen to how Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. And we'll put this up on the screen too. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul is saying here, listen, I worked, how many of us can say that? that you worked harder than anybody at your pursuits of holiness. Paul is saying, listen, there's nobody else that worked harder than me. I worked harder. But it was not I. It was God's grace that was giving me that ability. And later on in our book of Philippians, that we'll get to this in a few weeks, he says, not only have I obtained it or have I become perfect, but I press on. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. Does this describe your life? Think for a second about your own Christian walk. Does this describe you, that you are a person that can say, I worked harder than anybody else in Wellspring at my own holiness walk, that I press on, that I fight the good fight of faith. And that should be our posture because Christ made and gave us that example. So this is the miracle of the Christian life, guys, that God works the miracle and we act the miracle. And that quote's not from me. That's from a much smarter person than I, but I just think that is so powerful, that God creates the miracle in us and then we, with grace-driven effort, work out that miracle. All right, but okay, Jamie, so, okay, I get it. We work out our salvation, cool, I understand that, but okay, how do we do that practically? For some of us, we, we all, some of us got kids, right? We know how the struggle of that, raising a family, we all got jobs, things that are, you know, sometimes burdens in our life, we all get it, so how do we actually do this practically? Well, I'm glad you asked. It can be summed up into an acronym, APTAT, A-P-T-A-T. And for you pragmatic folks out there, the ones that like, you know, rules to follow or a list to write down, this is your moment to shine. I'm going to put it up on the screen and you note take away, take a picture of it, do whatever you need to, um, and we'll go through this one at a time, okay? So, the first one is A, admit. You admit that in your own fallen human efforts, you can do nothing. Jesus himself says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Very clear. In the Greek, that word nothing means nothing. Like, that's it. We can't. So go ahead and admit it to yourself now. Admit it to God. God, whatever you call me to do, I ain't got it. I ain't got it in me. And the natural afterwork of that, after you admit, is P. You pray. God, help me. I, I can't do this right now. I got all these other things going on, and you're calling me to do this. Give me the strength. And guys, listen, there's no special sauce with this one. Just pray. Ask your father, who loves to give his children good gifts. Ask him, and he will give it to you. 
And after you pray, you tea, you trust. Trust a blood-bought, tailor-made promise of God that fits your particular situation. Now, if you don't follow anything else up on the screen, this is the one I want y'all to pay attention to because this is the actual power of God to cause you to go and work and do what he's called you to do. You bank on the promises of God to give you the very thing to go out and obey what he's calling you to do. And if you don't want to, you know, skirmish through scripture, I want to give you a starting point. Just go to Romans chapter 8. Go there. Live there. People that know me know that I go to that chapter every single day of my life because it has some of the most beautiful, most glorious promises of God that help me walk daily. My wife got me some for, for Christmas. She put, um, she's from a real old Bible, um, got Romans chapter 8 and put it in the frame, and it's framed on my wall because I walk in the office, shrug and I read, okay, I got it, and then I go back. So go and trust and bank your lives on the promises of God. And after you trust, you have to A, act. You got to do it. No one's going to act for you. Yes, God works in you, but if you don't act, he doesn't act. You got a hard phone call to make? You pick up the phone and dial the number. Don't text either. Don't do that. Call them. You got a conversation to have with an unbelieving coworker at work that you've been convicted about sharing the gospel with? Get on your feet and go talk to them. God's not going to spiritually lift you up out of your seat and hover you over to the person so you can talk to them in all spiritual glory. No, you have to get up and you have to go. You have to do it. But again, don't forget that God is the one that's working in you. And so after you do that, you do all of that, you do the act, and after you're done, you tea. You thank him. Thank him for being a God that is faithful, a God that comes through time and time again to give you exactly what you need. And you thank him so that he gets all of the glory and not you. Now, I want to tell you an example of this in my own life um, where I kind of had to lean on this method and it came to that when I had to write this sermon that you're hearing right now. Last week was a struggle. I'm telling you, I was sh so many things were happening in my mind as I was trying to sit down and write and read and nothing was coming out. Like I was, I was typing and erasing and nothing seemed to actually fit and I got really, really nervous that I was going to get up to Sunday and have nothing to share, nothing to say, nothing to share. And Bob texted me. Well, it was on Thursday. And he said, hey, I have you down to preach on Sunday. Are you still good? And I was about this close to be like, no, you got to find somebody else, bro, because I'm feeling super inadequate right now. I don't got it in me. And it was in that moment that I was like, God, I can't. I can't do this right now. I can't do it in my own power. I've given all that I got to write this. I got nothing on a piece of paper. I can't. And I prayed and I asked him, please come through. Please help me with this. If you don't come through, I'm going to embarrass myself on Sunday morning and have nothing to share. And then this promise came to mind. Um, it's early, or further on in the book of Philippians. And the promise is Paul is saying that God will supply all of your needs 
according to the riches in Christ Jesus. And I was like, man, I really needed to hear that. God will provide me and give me what I need. And so I acted. I went back to that text, which sat on red for a long time from Bob. I was like, yep, I'm still good. I'm good to go, even though I was not good in that moment. I'm telling y'all, I had nothing on a piece of paper, but I was like, I'm good. And it was like the moment that I did that, that I stepped out in faith and said, I'm going to act. The spiritual writer's fog for all my writers out there just disappeared. And I typed up the entire sermon in a few hours. And so at the end of this, when I'm done, you're going to hear me do the T. Thank God for this. Because if I were left to my own devices, you guys wouldn't be looking at anybody up here. Well, maybe just not me. Some of us would have probably filled in. Um, but do this. Do this in your everyday life. If there's no other thing that you do, do that. Now, it's not foolproof, but it's a good way to posture ourselves before God to actually act out and obey him. Now, before we move on to the last section of Scripture, which I promise I'm going to fill all the sin and tie it all together, um, I want to make something very, very clear. Because, again, if we get this part wrong, we do not have the gospel anymore. Okay? So listen here. You are required to work and to strive and to fight on the path of holiness. Because Hebrews 12, 2, I'm going to put this up on the screen. The author of Hebrews had this to say. It says, strive for the holiness that without which no one shall see the Lord. So if you get to the end of your life and you are not holy, you will not see the Lord. Will not. However, if I could bold that and underline it with my voice, I could. However, we strive and we toil and we fight and we work out our own salvation from the place of already being united to Christ. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. Thank you. Listen, you're already a child of the king. You work from that place. You don't work to earn his favor. You can't do that. That's why Christ came. If you work and try to earn your place in the kingdom, what you do is you spit in the face of Christ who calls himself the door. He is the door to the kingdom, not us. We have nothing to offer God but our own sin. He is the door. So if you try to work and earn his favor, I mean, what you're really saying to him is that your grace is really not sufficient. Your cross is... Uh, it's not enough. I need to do my own part in getting inside. And guys, if we live our life that way, we may very well hear Christ say these terrifying words, I never knew you. Depart from me. All you did was work. All you did was try to earn my favor instead of resting in what I've already done for you. So Christians, I'm telling you today that we work from the place of resting in Christ while we press on, while we fight the good fight of faith. So we continue on to verse 14, where Paul calls the Philippians to do all things 
without grumbling or arguing. Now, we all know that Paul often gives these grand claims and obligations to the, the hearers of his writing. He says, do all things. Like, really? Like, not maybe some things, Paul? Like, you're giving us no room, wiggle room here. No, he says, do all things without grumbling and arguing. And in other translations, that word arguing is sometimes referred to or translated as disputing, which is referring to the inward dispute of our heart that leads to this outward grumbling from our mouth. And so realize that when you fix your mouth, when we fix our mouth to complain or grumble about something, what's happening is in our heart, we are telling God, I don't trust you. Everything you're putting, giving my way, I deserve something else. This is not what I signed up for. I, when, I, when I said I was going to be a Christian, I wanted a good, easy life. When he says himself, listen, if you claim my name, there's going to be suffering. You can't avoid it at all. So why are we trying to avoid it? Christ himself says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you find yourself in your own life complaining about something, what's happening is your heart is saying, God, I don't trust you at all. And Paul is calling the Philippians to not do that. And so essentially he's saying to them, do you want to grow in holiness? Stop complaining about everything. Simple. Well, that's a lot easier said than done for us, right? And again, I point you back to the one who is our example. In chapter, or in verse 5, and this, this won't be on the screen, but on, in verse 5, Christ humbled himself without grumbling to the Father. He obeyed without grumbling, and he died without grumbling or complaining to his Father in heaven. So we should strive to emulate that sort of posture where we can be people that face any and all struggle with a heart that says, I'm content, like Paul did. Didn't he say to live as Christ and to die is gain? Even if we die, it's gain for us. We should have that same posture as Christ. But why should we strive for that? Well, it seems to be two reasons according to our text. The first is in the first half of verse 15. And the second one in the last half, Paul goes on and says, Do all things without grumbling or arguing. And here's our first reason. That you may become blameless and pure children of God without faults in a warped and crooked generation. The NASB translation sometimes translates that word or that phrase to prove yourself to be blameless and pure. So there's this idea that your effort and your working to not be a grumbling, complaining person will actually prove that you are, in fact, a genuine child of God. And the reason that Paul says this is because he's contrasting with how the world around the Philippians lived, right? They lived amongst a culture that worshipped false gods, that worshipped man, Caesar, right? Caesar was the name above all names. And then if you were to claim the name of Christ, say I'm a Christian and Christ's name is above Caesar's name, you could be killed right then on the spot because no one dares bring a name above Caesar. But here Paul is just saying, don't act like the world and grumble, even though you're surrounded by all this 
death and decaying. Be genuine believers by not grumbling. This famous passage in James 2 speaks to this reality. James, the author, says this, faith without works is dead. Okay, so how does that apply to our passage? Well, think of it this way. If the root of our authentic faith or our faith is real and authentic, the root, the natural fruit that grows from that will be a life that is free from grumbling and arguing. Is that your life? Could you say that your life is free from grumbling and arguing? Now, Paul isn't going towards perfection here. He knows, he himself says, I'm a chief of all sinners, right? I'm the worst of the worst. But he's still able to say to do this. So don't get discouraged. He's not asking for perfection, but our life should reflect this posture of being people who don't grumble. And he expands on this thought in the second half of our verse. And he says this, so that you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And so it seems to be Paul's main thrust through this section of the text that the Philippians would work out their salvation in such a way that they would not only be people that were humble and that weren't grumbling and complaining, but that they would actually be lights to the world around them. Right? Because that's the whole point, right? What point is it if you're going to do all of this work and effort and striving for it to only benefit you and nobody else? Like you sit at home, you're reading the scriptures, right? You're praying, but it doesn't actually lead you out to the dark world that's dying. Outside of these walls is a city that's dying. People die every day in this town without knowing the name of Christ. So what good is it if our faith that we say that we have doesn't move us towards the broken and the lost and the hurting, the widowed, the orphan? It's pointless. It's just as bad as that dark culture that they're in. Guys, we work and obey for the purpose of being lights to the world. And our situation isn't any different from the Philippians, right? So this exhortation, this command applies to you. Let us live in a way that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Because Christ says this, it's not on the screen, I'm just going to read it to you. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now lastly, Paul tells the Philippians that if they continue in obedience, that he himself will have reason to boast at the resurrection because your guys are hit, their work would prove Paul's work to not be in vain. And that if for some reason he was going to be poured out like a drink offering, which is death language, right? If he was going to be poured out on the sacrifice of the Philippians' faith, that he would rejoice. And guys, I want you to know something this morning, that you have two pastors here that would gladly do and say the exact same thing. That they strive and they work and they toil to not only work out their salvation for themselves, but for your sake, to grow you in knowledge of the gospel and to strengthen you and give you the tools to walk out into this world with truth. 
So that way, if for some reason they had to sacrifice their own life, they would gladly do it without blinking, without even a question. And that for some reason on the other end of this life and glory, they'll look at each other and say, we didn't labor in vain. And so if you would, please thank your pastors. Thank them. Thank God for them. It's hard. And I'm not a pastor, but it's hard work. It was hard work doing this. And they have to do it every week without stopping while attending to the things that are going on in the congregation. So if you could find them today and thank them and thank God for them. So I close with this brief summary in the form of an exhortation or a command to you guys. Well, spring, work really, really hard on the path of holiness, okay? Become more Christ-like, while at the same time knowing God is the ultimate worker so that you shine bright in this world in order that people come to know Christ and repent and believe the gospel. And just so you know, that he who began a good work in you He will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. You aren't fighting this fight alone. Like you have have the God of the universe in you, strengthening you, encouraging you, helping you to fight this fight of faith. You're not fighting alone. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. (laughs)